We're beginning a new series this morning entitled, The Purpose of Your Trials. For me, maybe for you, I think one of the most difficult, at times even crazy, parts of the Christian life is coming to grips with the fact that becoming a follower of Jesus does not make us immune to life's trials. I mean, honestly, I know God is wise. I absolutely know that He's loving. I'm confident that He's a good God, and yet He allows sickness. He allows His chosen people to be persecuted. You go through seemingly unnecessary financial hardships. Worry grips your spirit. Fear often comes into your life. And I just... um, Sometimes it's mind-boggling as a Christian to kind of balance all that. How does that work? Money that you could have definitely used to give to the Lord's work, strength that you could have used for serving Him, relationships that were so blessed and so beautiful, robbed of those relationships, time that you know, all just the things that happen that steal your time. You just think, my goodness, why? God, what are you doing in all these things? Now, to be sure, as a Christian, we do escape a lot of issues uh, because many of our vices or our habits do uh, bring with them uh, built-in reproofs. And, of course, some believers would have you to believe, especially some of those on TV that, you know, uh, life is perfect, it's carefree, and, but the reality is that life just isn't always easy. It just really isn't. And sometimes, as believers, you will go through things that will experience your very, to your very core of your ability to even trust in God. I was doing some devotional reading, and as I came through a, a verse in Psalm 11, verse 5, The Lord just seemed to really put a spotlight on that verse, and I just saw it again afresh and anew, even though I've seen it hundreds of times. Psalm 11, verse 5. Would you read that with me, please? Uh, You have it over here on the overhead. Thank you so much. Let's read it together. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence his soul hateth. That little first part of that verse is our concentration this morning. And that is that if you are righteous, you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord is going to try you. The Lord himself is going to allow trials into your life. Now, I have journeyed through uh, six decades of this world. I have gone through the scripture again and again, studied it, uh, been in college, heard it over and over again, and as I read that verse, it was like the Lord just said, you need to, you need to just write down some of the purposes that I have in trials, why I allow you to have your car break down, why I allow you to have things go haywire in relationships, why all that happens. And so, as I've been thinking about that over several months now, and felt like this was a good time for the next three weeks, and then 
the last Sunday of the month, we're going to let Pastor Mike uh, send us off with a finish the summer great. But for the next three weeks, uh, I'm going to share with you, I'm sure there's more purposes, but seven key purposes, benefits really, why God allows trials into our life. And so um, I'm looking forward to that. Well, it is true. Sometimes life is very confusing. Consider the man who went to see his doctor. This guy was so worried. Doctor, he said, you've got to help me. I'm dying. Everywhere I touch, it hurts. I touch my head, it hurts. I touch my leg, it hurts. I touch my stomach, it hurts. I touch my, touch my chest, it hurts. You have to help me, doc. Everything hurts. The doctor gave him a complete examination. Mr. Smith, he said, I have good news and I've got bad news for you. The good news is you are not dying. The bad news is you have a broken finger. (laughs) And sometimes life is like that, amen? As a believer, that's good news. The bad news is we're going to go through some trials before we get to heaven for sure. Let's all bow our heads for a prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Lord, would you just bring our hearts together? Every person in this room, Lord, has a broken heart. Even those that are laughing this morning, if, you could, if we could depress deep enough, they would tell you of a broken heart. There's an area in their life, Lord, that they just don't understand. It hurts. And now, Lord, would you give us some perspective? I know that your perspective changes everything. Holy Spirit, touch every hearer. Touch this speaker, please, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go to the book of Job. That seems like a natural place to start on a series on trials. The book of Job. Job, the most godly man that lived in the world, Job chapter 1 says, or among them, rich, beloved by God, successful, a man who feared God, but God took him through the depths that few people have ever had, lost all 10 of his children. I mean, losing one child is beyond anything, but all 10, to lose his money, to lose his health, the respect of his friends, even his wife, perhaps. Wow, what a life. You talk about being tried. And we know the story. We know that it was actually just that. It was a trial allowed by God. Job got perspective. In one of his uh, rare moments of clarity, at the end he kind of seemed to get it, but right in the middle of it here in Job 23, verse 10, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He learned the fact that all trials for believers are temporary. That's something to write down. It is temporary. Now, it may last for a few weeks or a few months or a few years here on this earth, but it always ends. If, if not here, it certainly will end when we go to be with the Lord. And oftentimes it does end, or at least God changes us. And that's what he said here. It says, we shall come out of the furnace. 
That's a good word right there. We come out of the furnace, and God doesn't burn up our faith because it's real, but He does burn away the dross, the excess that is not good in our life. And in addition to that, we will be more pure and more precious to the refiner, an improved version of who we are. We may have been found good, but through trials, we're made even better. All of us need to remember that in trials, God is not causing us to stumble, but to stand. A wise man once said, the bumps of life are made to climb on. They're just footholds, they're handholds to get us through life. And in page after page of Scripture, one story after another, trials come through any and every way possible, and they all have different purposes. There are at least seven I want to share with you over the next three weeks. Let's begin. First of all, trials come to reveal areas of weakness. Very wise of God to do that for us and loving One of the greatest illustrations of the Old Testament is found with a man by the name of Hezekiah. You may have never read much about him, and certainly you may have skipped through this verse, but let's read verse 31 of 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Here he is, king of Israel, lots of stuff going on, enemies, sickness. Verse 31, how be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him. What? Let me read that right. God left him to try him, that he might know all that was in his heart. Now, here's the brief biography of Hezekiah, king of Israel. He gets very, very sick, so sick that he basically thought he was going to die, wanted to die. He turns, the Lord even tells him to put his house in order. He prays, and uh, miraculously, God heals him. I mean, brings him back from the very brink of death. And as a sign of that, he, God actually took the sun and dialed it back 10 degrees. One can imagine that caused an amazing amount of stir in the community, and it wasn't uh, unnoticed in nearby lands. Some, uh, the king of Babylon, uh, was, they were heard of this amazing recovery of the king of Israel, and so they decided to send an embassy there. They come there, and Hezekiah sees them, and uh, probably wonders at first what they're wanting, because, I mean, these were the, this was the North Korea of the day. This was the Iran of the day. These were not nice people. They have had some issues for thousands of years. It doesn't seem like they've stopped much over these years. And so they come, and supposedly they've come to congratulate Hezekiah. Now, the preacher warned Hezekiah that he probably should keep his uh, eyes open because it may not be what he thinks. But Hezekiah, you know, he just um, hook, line and sinker, boy, he just bit. The embassy uh, from the king of Babylon comes there and they bring him presents and they begin to make all over him. And King Hezekiah, he just eats it up. Boy, he's just, yeah, he's just, this is great. 
What he didn't know was a couple of things. Number one, of course, they were the enemy, hadn't changed their character at all. The other thing was they worshiped the sun. And the fact that the sun dialed back 10 degrees and it coincided with the healing of Hezekiah, and there was a lot of talk out there, and of course the preachers were making the most of it, they, uh, they, were, they had an ulterior motive. And so uh, as a result of all this, Hezekiah, rather than, and he had been very good at bringing a revival to the land, and he had thrown out idols, but in all of what he had done, he had, while he had gotten rid of the physical idols, he made an idol of his own self. And he just was drinking in all this adulations, and he was just happy with it all. Well, the Bible says that God left him so that he could try him and know him. Now, let's just stop for a minute. We know a little bit about theology. We know that God is omnipotent, all-powerful. We know that he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. But we also know that he's omniscient. So did God try Hezekiah so that he could tell what was in his heart? No. God tried him. He left him so that Hezekiah could see what was in his own heart to reveal something about his life. And that is, he wasn't quite so amazing and wonderful and maybe even spiritual as he thought he was. And so God left him. Now, what does it mean that God left him? Well, he didn't lose his salvation, but he did left the presence of God, the connection he had in prayer, the hedge of protection about his stuff and his life. And God said, uh, well, if you want to see what life is like without me, let me show you. And so things had been on a roll, and boy, he had been going uphill for a good bit of time. And now God left him, and all of a sudden Hezekiah was dialed back a little bit, and he had to see what was going on in his life. And that, what, what God was doing was he was revealing some weaknesses. He was helping him to take a spiritual inventory. And that's really, I think, a good sense of what he was doing, a spiritual inventory. You know, in our house, uh, there's one, several things we have to have. One of them is peanut butter, uh, natural peanut butter. I've got to have it. I mean, it's just got to be there. And uh, right, honey? In fact, there's a couple of them right there on the front row. A dear saint in our church uh, brings me peanut butter. So uh, one of the things that Pauline does on Friday morning, she goes to the grocery store and she checks the pantry and she says, is there anything you need? And she knows what I'm going to say every Friday. Well, make sure I have peanut butter. And um, so there's peanut butter and Pepsi and I got to have peanut butter and Pepsi. Those are the two and sausage and turkey sausage. Those are the three things. Everything else in life is, is optional. Those three things are mandatory. Check the pantry. Check the pantry. Because we've got to have a store. Because you never know. I mean, we, we might get snowed in in the middle of August around here. And, you know, we, what would I do without peanut butter and sausage and Pepsi? I mean, this would be terrible. And so she checks the pantry. She looks for any shortages, any weaknesses in our, what we have stored up. 
Years ago, there was a uh, man by the name of Joseph, and he w- his responsibility was to fill up the pantry. Pharaoh said, fill up the pantry. He filled it up because he knew there was a famine coming. Now, in our lives, we all are to be filling up the pantry of our spiritual life. We come to church on Sunday, and we hear another message. Why do you come on Sunday? Why don't you just... Okay, I heard a church one time and I got everything I needed. That'd be like saying I went to the store, I got all the peanut butter I'd ever need for the rest of my life. It doesn't work that way. You've got to keep getting more. So you keep coming back week after week. You, every day you read your Bible, you spend some time worshiping the Lord. And uh, what, what are you doing? Just like Joseph, you are filling up the pantry because the famine comes. And you don't, you know... There are times when life gets so hectic and so crazy, you're going to need to draw from that pantry. But if that pantry's empty, if your cupboard has nothing in it, you don't have anything to get. And I, you know, would tell our children, especially our daughters, I'd say, girls, you know, you can make it on, you know, three minutes of reading your Bible and a one-minute prayer when you're a teenager. You probably. I mean... You know, the biggest thing you have to deal with is, you know, some other girl talking about you or, you know, I mean, there's the the issues of life aren't as deep as, you, you know, they will be. But then you get married and then there's a whole new set of relationships and then you begin to have children. And oftentimes we have very large families and I'd say, girls, I promise you, when you get married and then you have physical issues and then you have financial issues. And then you have one child and two children and three children. Pretty soon you're looking at a whole bunch of eyeballs. You don't know how many kids you have. You just count them all and divide, you count all the eyeballs and divide in half. You know how many kids you have. And uh, it works most of the time, except for the one-eyed kid. But um, <laughs> so you look at them all there, and I said, girls, I'm going to tell you something. You will not make it on just a little bit of peanut butter. You know, one little verse you remember when you were in eight years old or you were in third grade and someone gave you, folk, you need fresh bread. You need, you need your pantry full. What was God doing with Hezekiah? He was showing him some weaknesses. He was a good Christian. He really was. He's a good man. He had started a revival, he had, but he had some issues. One of them was pride. And he was showing him that you don't, it's not what you think. So this is a weakness in your life. God brings trials to show us a weakness. He also brings trials into our life, I think, to show us where we may have a weak link in our system. You know, um, when we got ready to do this building, um, or when we were coming to a conclusion on this part of it, we uh, talked to some sound engineers, and I remember one thing that one of them said, and it, I never really thought about it that way, but it made so much sense. He said, I, you know, we were trying to decide on, you know, what kind of speakers and, you know, what kind of uh, amp and all the different things. And he said, you know, he said, don't forget the small parts, because he said, your total system is only as good as the weakest link. He said, if you spend $1,000 on a speaker... And then you cut costs and you buy a $1 connector that'll go out in a year. He said, you have, made a, you have built a weak link into your system. 
He said, don't skimp on the weak link. He said, make sure that you really, you know, do your homework and be that and get, a, get the good stuff. And I've often thought about that, how, you know, we're going along in life and, you know, we're checking our boxes off, right? You know, okay, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm eating good and healthy, check. You know, I'm exercising, check. Okay, I've got going good there. You know, we're, uh, you know, we're keeping our mind active, okay, check. And uh, Bible reading, oh, there's a little weakness there. Going to church, well, I, you know, I go at Christmas and Easter, you know, has a big weak link right there. And uh, serving the Lord, well, I try to, you know, witness when I can. And now in our life, if we, are, if we have built some weak links, that's where it's going to snap. I mean, your strength is, you know, you eat real well. Your strength is, you know, you're good at exercising. Your strength is that, you know, you're a really good people person, whatever. But the fact is, that's not where the devil's going to hit. And that's not where we're going to snap. So God alerts us to weak links in our life. You know, there's a great wonder of the world called the Great Wall of China. At one point, some of it has deteriorated, but much of it, thousands of miles still exists. But at one point, 5,000 mile long wall in, uh, in Western China there during the Ming Dynasty, it's incredible tall wall. I mean, people couldn't get through it. They couldn't get over it, couldn't get under it. It was a real deterrent. However, it was not impenetrable. You'd say, well, it wasn't? Nope. You know how the enemies got through? They bribed the gatekeeper. <laughs> they just bribed the gatekeeper and went right through the gate. And that's a weak link. You know, I mean, you can build this big old giant wall, this thing that absolutely is so impenetrable, but if you build a weak link into it, that's exactly where it's going to go along. Now, folks, if you're not praying, if you're not giving, to, you're stealing God's money, now that's the weak link. It's not going to go away. It's not going to get better. And that's what God was alerting Hezekiah to. He said, Hezekiah, you need to take care of this business. Let me tell you another story of another guy by the name of Habakkuk. At least that's what I've always called him. I recently decided to, they have all these pronunciation things now, and actually his name is, uh, in the Hebrew, Haba is Hava, and uh, Habakkuk. That's actually how you pronounce it. But I can't pronounce it like that. It sounds funny to me. So, but I'll just call him Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Now, his name actually is important. It's not just because of the funny pronunciation there. But his actually name means wrestle. And like so many of the Bible characters and their children, God uses their name to mean something. Wrestle. Pastor Habakkuk was wrestling with something. He was wrestling with justifying a good, loving God with all the junk that was happening. I mean, the enemies was coming in. The people were unspiritual. It was, things were a mess around there. And he was just wondering, if God is so good, why doesn't he do something? And then, in the midst of all these mental gymnastics, he gets it. God, he has an epiphany moment. I get it. I, I see what God's doing. Let's pick up the story in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, they love figs. Neither shall the fruit be in the vines, and 
course, the grape juice was so important to what they would drink there. The labor of the olive, the olive oil shall fail. Now the fields shall yield no meat. Flocks shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the stalls. That's a, that's, that's a big mess right there. I mean, everything I've ever drank, everything that I've ever eaten, livelihood is, everything's messed up. Everything's turned upside down. Yet, verse 18, I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds, like a deer's feet, like a goat, and he will make me to walk upon high places to the chief singer upon my stringed instruments. He said, you know what? The fact is, if my entire life gets turned upside down, I finally get it. I finally get it. I have been getting my joy out of my grape juice. I've been getting my joy out of all the cattle that I have. I've been getting my primary source of my joy from the stuff of this world. He said, all of a sudden, I realize that nothing has changed about God. Notice what he said. He said, I'm going to joy in the God of my salvation. God hasn't changed. No matter how crazy the world is, God has not changed. He's as great as he's ever been. And folks, I, I know right now people are all upset about this and upset about this and what's going on in our country, but can I reassure us of something? God hasn't changed one bit. He's a great God as he's always been. And then he rejoiced in his salvation. He said, God hasn't changed. And number two, he said, I'm still saved. I'm still going to go to heaven. I mean, it makes no difference. It, I mean, ultimately, it's, it, it's sad, it's hard, it's devastating, it's bothersome, but ultimately, I'm going to heaven. Man, I am going to heaven. What an amazing feeling to know that I'm going to heaven. That's the great truth to know that. In trials, we often learn more than when the sun is shining. The old poet said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but made me none the wiser for all she had to say. Then I walked a mile with sorrow. Not a word, said she, but all oh, the things I learned from sorrow when sorrow walked with me. And there is an amazing purpose behind sorrow and trials, and it helps us take a spiritual inventory. It helps us find weak links in our spiritual life, and we need that because when the pressure comes and when the famine comes, we'll be ready for it. Thank God for trials. There's a second reason why trials come, not only to reveal areas of weakness, but to repress attitudes of pride, to repress attitudes of pride. Fact, God wants us to have no confidence in the flesh. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3. Paul said, church, never have confidence in the flesh. Put all of your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just he is what saves you. He's what keeps you. He's what gives you the grace to make it through another day. Don't put your confidence in the flesh. Now, he wasn't telling us to be, you know, little mealy mouth people that, you know, don't try or doesn't feel like we can do things. He was just simply saying, don't put your confidence in your own flesh to get the job done. Now, 
this may sound a little bit like point number one, but the difference is this. In point number one, God is trying to show us what our issues are. In point number two, God is trying to grow us past those issues and through them. And I think that's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Let's read that verse together, if you would, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. <clears throat> All right, let's read it right out loud. Let's go. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Did you see that? <laughs> lest I should be exalted. If I don't have trials, I'll get proud. I'll get conceited. I'll get whatever. Notice what he said. He said, I was one of the rare people who went to the third heaven. Now, he later explained, he said, I can't say that I went to heaven in the body or in my mind. I don't know. Remember, the first heaven is the sky that we see. The second heaven is space. The third heaven is heaven itself. So he said, I'm not sure whether I actually went to heaven in the body or had an out-of-body experience. I don't know. But I went to heaven. I mean, this is one of the, this is a clear biblical justification for having a, an out-of-body experience, as, as it were. He could have been very proud of himself. I got to go to heaven, and I'm back to brag about it. He was given, God spoke to him, and he wrote down Scripture. He sometimes used a, a pen, penman to work with him. But I mean, to be one who all of a sudden gets awakened in the middle of the night and said, write this down, he starts writing down. To be someone who he was reaching down to get some sticks and a, a, a poisonous snake latches onto him and he just shakes it off. Everybody's looking for him to die and he just keep, walks off. I mean, all the things that Paul went through, he could get pretty proud and, you know, like uh, he was uh, Mr. Uh, everything, you know, he was Mr. Spiritual. But Paul said, here's what God did. In the midst of all of these blessings that I was getting, all these amazing demonstrations of God's power, God beat me up. <laughs> did you read that? He buffeted me. He's, and have you ever been, felt like you've been beat up in your life? Man, tell you what, he's like, okay, when is this going to stop? I mean, really? You know, left, right, uppercut, you know, jab, you know, okay, I'm done. God, this is enough. I mean, you know, rarely does, do trials come when we have all the money in the bank we need, all the strength we have, and they come one at a time just exactly when we can stand it. No, they usually come in groups, and they come when it's totally the worst possible time. That's, and we feel just beat up, and that's what Paul said. He said, I'm, I've been beat up. He called it a thorn in the flesh. Nobody really knows, a physical problem, an issue in the ministry, some personal, interpersonal relationship, whatever it was, he was beat up. He felt like he was all these round with uh, Floyd Mayweather, you know, and uh, there's big fights coming, you know, with Mayweather and this McGregor guy, and, you know, I'll tell you what, someone in that ring is going to get beat up, I'll tell you that for sure. And that's what we feel like, we've been beat up, we've been beat up by the devil, we've been beat up, it says, 
God allowed that. He actually let Satan beat on me. He let Satan beat on me. Really? That's like the referee standing there and just watching someone getting beat up, you know. Uh, you know, let God, come on. No, I'm going to let him beat on you for a while. It's good for you. And uh, it's uh, making you humble. <laughs> that's exactly, that's the point. God said, I'm making you humble. Some wise person once said, faith keeps us strong. Trials keep us humble. Flaws keep us human. Hope keeps us walking. And God keeps us going. Several years ago, uh, this was back in the day when I had a I had a station wagon. It was one of those big, beautiful Buicks, and it's a funny thing about those. Uh, the last seat in it turned the opposite way to look back. So, you know, people you're driving down the road, and our kids were in the back going like that. You know, I never understood why all these drivers went by. You know, just like that. You know. What's the matter with these people, you know? Crazy people. And uh, Luke was back there, and Anna, some of the other ones, you know, who knows what they were doing. It was a beautiful car, really, but it was a station wagon. Definitely not what you'd, you know, no, no sexy car for sure. <laughs> I came out one morning, and it was gone. Came out of the house, it was gone. It was gone? Who would steal a station wagon? But they did. They stole the station wagon. They found it uh, wrapped around a tree or the front and dented in. <laughs> Didn't have any money. Some, they, just some crazy teenager just did it and then only lasted a little while. So we had to fix it. So we fixed the car, went down to got all the parts, put it in. So being cheap and being poor and thinking like I could probably do it, we put it together. So we put it all back together and then needed to paint it. So taped it all off, sanded it and painted it. And I was like, honestly, I was pretty proud of that situation. That's got to admit, I was pretty, I was pretty doggone happy. I'd say what I did. It's like, you know what? I just saved like 2000 bucks and look at this thing. I mean, it was beautiful, shiny gold. Wow. So peeled off all the tape and, but up on top, there was some tape stuck and I, I couldn't, I couldn't reach it. So I got this little step ladder and reached it, still couldn't get it. And so I said, well, okay. So I'll, I'll kneel out there. So I got out on top of the station wagon on my knees to get that last little thing. And all of a sudden I heard a clunk. <laughs> I looked down and there was a dent in there. I got off the car, and sure enough, I had dented after all that work. On the very moment I was unveiling this masterpiece, there was a bump in that car. But until we got rid of that car, that was my humble bump right there. <laughs> Every time I'd look at that thing, I'd just go, <laughs> why, man? But you know what that God is always saying, just in case you just want to know anything, you know, don't, uh, don't let it get to your head. Sometimes I feel like the cat. Little boy entered the grocery store and he asked the grocer, he said, I'd like a box of Tide detergent. The grocer is kind of puzzled why a little boy would want a box of Tide. And he said, uh, what were you going to do with it? He said, I'm going to wash my cat. 
The grocer said, son, you can't wash a cat, and you certainly can't wash a cat with this tight detergent. That's just, you can't do that. But the boy said, look, it'll be all right. He said, okay. A few days later, the boy came back, and the grocer looked at the little boy and said, how's your cat? Hell, he died. <laughs> grocer said, I warned you not to wash your cat with that detergent. He said, it wasn't the soap that got him. It was the spin cycle. That's what got him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way I feel like my life is sometimes. I'm on the spin cycle, amen? It's like, ah, you know, I want out of this thing. But you know, God just, God just works us over. He beats us. It's, Paul said, he's beating on me. You're letting the devil beat on me. God said, yep, sure am. I'm letting the devil beat on you because it's making you humble. Wow, really? Thank you, Lord. But the fact is, the truth is, we do need that. Because what it's doing is it's building a humble dependence upon God. You need God, and I need God. And ever since the fall of Adam, we keep forgetting something. God needs us dependent on Him. And if we don't, we're in for a big fall. Suffering brings us to a point where at a where you get to be at a one-day-at-a-time experience. And you know you're suffering when you feel like, man, I don't even know if I can make it another day. And then you're suffering so much, you're thinking, honestly, I don't even know if I can make it another hour. And you'll excuse me for a moment, but I've been there, and perhaps you have too, when I thought, I don't think I can make it another minute. I mean, not even a minute, God, because if you don't come, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And that's exactly where God wants us. He wants us in that spin cycle, and He wants us to a point where we're absolutely, utterly dependent upon Him. And as painful as that is, all the distractions of life pretty soon begin to melt away, and we realize there's nothing but Jesus. I love some of those little songs we sing, just give me Jesus. You get to a point when everything kind of boils down to the point, I got Jesus, and right now it's about all I know. Those disciples were out on that Sea of Galilee, and we often talk about the big storm, but I will tell you there were two storms that day. There was not only the storm they were in physically, but there was a huge storm going on inside of their heads and hearts. Will you depend upon me? Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you believe that my way is best? God doesn't make any mistakes. And what he allows is to either show us a weakness or to teach us humility. We need both of those. Let me share as I close here this morning a paraphrase of Romans 8.28. Now, a prayer phrase is not Scripture. It's just a man-made way of saying what Scripture says. Some of them are delightful. Others are probably questionable. This one by C.H. Welch. He was an Englishman, an English theologian, pastor, writer of a generation ago. But I think it was is absolutely one of the most, in fact, absolutely the greatest paraphrase of Romans 8.28. Listen to it. You remember Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good. 
Romans 8.28, C.H. Welch paraphrase. The Lord may not have planned that this should overtake me, but he has most certainly permitted it. Therefore, though it were an attack of the enemy, by the time it reaches me, it has the Lord's permission. And therefore, all is well. He will make it work together with all of life's experiences for good. As I close, one final story, a fanciful story with a great Bible truth. It's the story of the fern and the bamboo. One day I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit my job. I wanted to run from every relationship. I was tired of my spiritual journey. I just wanted to quit life. Stop this world and let me off. So I went to the woods to have one last good talk with God before I said goodbye. God, can you just give me one good reason why I shouldn't quit? The answer surprised me. Look around. He said, do you see the fern seeds and the bamboo seeds and the plants? Well, yes, I do. He said, when I planted the fern and the bamboo, I took very good care of them, gave them light, gave them water. The fern grew very quickly from the earth. It's brilliant green, covered the floor of the forest. Yet nothing came from the bamboo seed. But I didn't quit and give up on that bamboo. In the second year, the fern grew more vibrant and plentiful. And then, again, nothing came from the bamboo seed. But I didn't quit on that bamboo seed. In the third year, was still growing. The fern was beautiful and just amazing. Nothing from the bamboo seed, but I would not quit and give up on the bamboo seed. In the fourth year again, nothing from the bamboo seed, but I still would not quit. Then in the fifth year, a, fine, a tiny little sprout emerged from the earth. But compared to the fern, it was seemingly small and insignificant. But six months later, that little bamboo shoot had raised, risen to over 100 feet tall. I spent five years, unseen years, growing roots, and the roots made it very strong and gave it what it needed to survive. And that's what I've done for you. All this time you've been struggling, I've been actually growing your roots. I'm growing your roots. Your time will come, you watch, and you will rise high. Trials keep you humble. Sorrows keep you human. Success may keep you glowing, but only God keeps you going. Would you bow your heads with me, please, in prayer? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.